Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and today I'm very excited to introduce our guest, Dan Robson, to come on and talk about his career in sports writing and sports journalism. He works for The Athletic, but he's also written books on Pat Quinn, Doug Gilmore, Johnny Bauer. I, I'm sure I'm missing some, I know that. Um, and also has a recent memoir about his dad titled Measuring Up, a memoir of fathers and sons. Um, everyone should uh, get that book as well if you've lost someone recently. Um, and anyways, thanks so much for coming on. And uh, how's it going, Dan? Thanks for having me, Alex. Really appreciate it. It's going well. Um, in the midst of uh, the sort of busy fall, getting into the fall season of, of writing for The Athletic. So, um, you know, it's, it's sort of coming out of the, the sort of summer lull into, uh, into some, some fun stories that are coming up and some, some interesting stories coming up. So it's, it's a good time. That's great. I'm definitely going to ask you a bit about those stories a bit later in in the show. But I just how this podcast kind of works is I, I normally ask the 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 writer or the journalist to kind of talk about their career, um, but first kind of how they became interested in sports. And I just wanted to ask, where does your love of sports come from? Well, I played sports growing up um, at a you know, cut pretty consistently, like my entire life from being playing ball hockey and basketball in my court and, you know, being some of the kid that was just watching hockey in Canada and those kinds of things. So I, I had a natural just affinity and to, for the love of the game for playing sports. And then in hockey, I played um, sort of a high level minor hockey growing up, played junior hockey. And then when, um, on, when I went to Queens University for my undergrad, I from the varsity team there. So it's just sort of hockey was ended up being part of my um, just who I was in a really uh, intimate way, and it was sort of a love hate relationship as well. I, I mm-hmm. the love I had as a child and sort of all of the um, you know the, the sort of dreams that sort of surrounded all the fun um, as I rose through the ranks of sort of more competitive hockey in, in my high school uh, days and at university. I, I actually saw a lot more of the side of it that I didn't love and, and sort of mm-hmm. the negative reaction had to be. So I kind of realized then that, that there's this inherent tension within sport and whether mm-hmm. you're playing the game or whether you're battling yourself um, within that, I, I, I knew there was a lot of stories to tell there. So that became sort of um, just the foundation of how I, you know, how I came of age in a way. And then mm-hmm. when I went on to Carleton to uh, study journalism, um, I, I found myself drawn to, longer stories like I, I wasn't going to be uh, a news person in the way that you know some of our props were or some of my colleagues were um I, I found myself drawn to the feature writing classes the documentary classes um I, I just I really sort of fell in love with stories that were a little more um, nuanced and, de- and deep um, and the opportunities to try and tell those stories and there wasn't any sports programming at all I call it at the time there is now um but there wasn't at the time so I actually had to work through uh as directed reading with one of my professors to actually do a study in sports uh, journalism. So I, a long story short, I got through that. And when I went under the world, I ended up working the Toronto star and Canadian press and CBC and all kinds of places. And I, I think kind of naturally found my way to the sports department. I didn't, um, I didn't seek it out really, but just because it was part of a world I understood so well, um, I was sort of a natural fit there. And I, I kind of felt comfort in that, in that space, telling those stories. And so um, from a brief internship at the Toronto Star, where I had a couple opportunities there, I, I landed at Sportsnet, uh, where they started a magazine miraculously yeah. in 2011 um, out of out of thin air, almost it seemed like it was like a Sports Illustrated style magazine. And that is really where, um, for several years, I got a chance to do 
what I do now in my career, which is tell long form sports uh, stories. And it was, it was kind of like landing a dream job at the time. Um, mm -hmm. And I've been very fortunate to be able to carry that um, in, in different fashions forward throughout my career so far. I had you kind of ruined all the questions I lined up. You kind of <laughs> so eloquently explained kind of uh, your journey. I guess just to go off that, was there a time? Was there a time in your life where you were unsure about what direction you were going in your career, and that you? When was that kind of moment, or was there a time where you fell in love with? Oh, I want to be a sports writer, or I want to be a sports journalist. When did that kind of start for you? You know, it's interesting because. Because I, um, well, the very start was tough just because getting out of university, um, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's really, it's the most stressful part in many ways of your career. I, I, there's more stress in my career to come, no doubt. And, and there has been stressful moments in my career, but that very beginning when you're still fresh and you're insecure and you're not really certain what you are, what you can become, it, I found it obviously quite unsettling and I'm sure a lot of people do. Um, and I kind of land, I, you know, landed an internship. I, I traveled to Rwanda with, with Carlton and then I came back and, you know, internships dry up and then there's no extended contract. So you end up having to, so I actually worked as a supply teacher for a little bit during the time because oh. I, I, I completed a teaching degree before I came to Carlton. And so I watched you for a while. I wasn't quite sure where I was going to end up. Um, but I, I just stuck with that and kept applying, kept writing, um, do some freelance stuff. And, you know, within a year, I, um, I ended up being um, where I think I, I wanted to be. And it was, it was interesting. I, um, your, your father was one of my professors. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I remember actually some, one of the things he had said to us at some point, I don't know if I remember saying this, but he said, you know, you're probably not going to be where you want to be right away, but I promise you all within five to 10 years, you're going to be where you're supposed to be and where you want to be. And I found that quite comforting and it was absolutely, it was, it was absolutely correct. I mean, um, I ended up just persisting, always trying, it was like sending out, um, stories and, and getting you know, more reps in, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, and then finally got the chance that I needed and, and took that. So that was a unsettling time um, just because of the nature of, you know, how precarious being a journalist is and, and being a young journalist in particular. Um, it was really just trying to sort of get that grounding. Uh, and then and throughout my career, I think one of the things I, I had the biggest trouble with is like not being a traditional sports journalist. Like I'm not... Um, you know, I, I, and I don't really have much interest in it. Not that I, I totally respect it. I, I love mm -hmm. um, my colleagues and, and I have some incredible friends that are sports journalists, but they have a unique talent that I don't have, which is, you know, covering a team, getting into minutiae of stats, um, being there every day, a beat kind of guy. That's never been something I've really been interested in. And mm -hmm. frankly, sports, I think, are really just the, the sort of the, the, the canvas with which I sort of look at stories. I, I think of um, the stories that I write as being, somewhat sort of universal and applicable. So I, I hope that someone who doesn't care about, um, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs, I'm writing a book about the Maple Leafs or doesn't care about basketball or, or anything in a way, will care about the story I'm writing about because yeah. I can to them in a level that, that was unexpected. Kind of the way that a great business story will do the same, you know, a great profile. So I find that um, I, I kind of pull myself back from the idea of being a sports journalist. And I think that's been, um, I think it's been a benefit to me because it's allowed me to kind of create my own niche. And frankly, because I, I actually just wouldn't be good <laughs> at the other stuff. I'm just, I'm not good on sports radio. I'm not good talking about who should be traded and, and what's happening or following prospects. And some people I know, some of my very good friends are exceptional at that. But the one thing I've learned, especially in my career, is that there's so many unique 
um, aspects to storytelling and different ways to tell stories that um, you really just need to lean into the one that you're you're most gifted in and that you find the most joy in doing and find a way to make that work. Was there a time where you felt that you were penciled into going into that kind that type of sports journalism where it was about the minutiae, it was about the games and scores? And did you find it almost difficult to be more of a writer who writes about sports? I, you know, I've been very lucky. I should say this. Like I, I have to, uh, you know, I, I can't look back at my, um, my career and, and now, and especially now I'm a bit older in this career, I know uh, how fortunate I was to have got that first opportunity with Sportsnet Magazine, for example. I mean, that was five years of, I mean, I got to go to Haiti to write a story. I traveled to throughout the United States, to New York. I went um, to Nunavut. It was all kinds of play opportunities to to get away from the minutia of the game, the minutia of the game. And I, I've had now and then I've stepped in to do like beat stories and helped out. And, you know, there's, you know, there's a time when the magazine was no longer being printed and we're kind of a digital space. And so how is that going to look? But I, I always kind of managed to find my way. And I don't know if I'm always going to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but moving over to the athletic in 2018 was, um, I, I think, the right move for me in, in many ways. And it allowed me to bring the experience that I had to uh, a website that I think or to a, to a publication that really values deep in-depth journalism. At the same time, it values you know, incredibly excellent um, commentary and, and and like fast, quick reporting, getting things up. And so I was able to fill a bit of a void there and we can mm-hmm. work in tandem. So, um, so far I haven't had felt the tug to sort of say, you know, we're going to have to do this now. You can't do that. And, you know, I probably wouldn't do it. I think, um, you know, basically it's, I think of um, the world of sports reporting in many ways and, and like sort of the day to day as sort of a young person's, Mm-hmm. Uh, game somewhat I mean I know a lot lots of people who are experienced do it but they've sort of been doing it for a long time um it, it would be it would be a huge transition for me um and I I think I you know have the skills to do it and would try to figure it out and would go for it but I also I don't know that I'd find the same kind of joy in it so mm-hmm. really well, no. yeah no of, of course my, my my intention wasn't to say you should be or anything oh no I know yeah, yeah I was actually sort of working through that problem in my head I was like yeah, yeah, yeah. after that I guess to to transition into firstly you working at the athletic and sportsnet magazine and writing so many wonderful feature stories what do you think makes a good feature story and how do you approach writing a feature story interesting i teach a class at ryerson now about feature writing so we were just talking about this on uh, monday night and sort of breaking down the elements of of what it is and i actually think it's quite simple um Mm -hmm. it's i think i think uh making sure you have character and you have tension is the central thing you have some sort of conflict that um a character is approaching and solving in some way um my former men my former current mentor someone i know really well garrett joyce who's been a um when i was when i was starting out as a writer was worked with us and was a great um you know person to sort of lean on and give a lot of advice said you know it should always be it, every good story is somebody doing something for a reason. And, and, I, and I think that that's kind of a hard concept to apply because we think, okay, well, conflict, like it has to be, you know, some enormous thing. And I have written about a lot of big conflicts and that that's there. But I also think even in the smallest kind of, um, not even the most, the smallest story, even, even in the a story that doesn't seem to have drama in it, there's some sort of conflict and it's the way you frame that story. You first mm-hmm. sort of frame that problem. So I, I think that a long form story has to have, um, you know, a really strong ending and has to have a, the, the whole story 
needs to lead towards that ending. It has to have the arc of a story. It has to have um, that rising action, that, that falling action. If it doesn't, I, I, and sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it's really great people doing great stories that don't have that. But I think that's the, the way that we consume stories. That's the way that readers um, will keep following through to get the end of your story. So um, I, I think that that's central. So you can either be talking about, you know, somebody who's, um, you know, battling through the, the death of a child, for example, trying to figure out what's next. Because I wrote a story about that years ago, about a, uh, one of my, that touched my heart the most is about a family that um, there's a minor league player who played for, you know, 22 teams in 21 seasons and sort of held, clung on to this hockey dream. And then his, um, his young daughter who'd been on the road with him the whole time ended up getting sick and I ended up traveling with them to, to St. Jude's Hospital. Um, and, and that story to me was this incredibly human mm-hmm. story. There was like clear tension in that um, story just about trying to battle against um, something that was like a, you know, something they weren't, they weren't able to quote unquote defeat in that sense. But then another story, I, I wrote a story about Bobby Webster, the GM of the Toronto Raptors. Yeah. And you know, that's a story that, you know, if you were to look at it, I think, you would say, okay, well, where's the conflict? Like, it's kind of a story about somebody following their dreams. But really what it is a story about is somebody um, figuring out how to make it to the heights of being executive in the NBA at a very young age. And what obstacles do you have to face along the way? And how did he maneuver around them? There's tension in that as well, too, right? There's decisions yeah. made. There's um, there's strategy employed. And there is an arc. There's, you know, the sort of story begins with him, um, in uh in san francisco you know just sort of sitting there as unknown gm and sort of figuring out what he wants to become and then it's you know they go through the rise of becoming a nba champion so um i think it's that to sort of along with an answer i think always trying trying to figure out um what's at stake in this story and leaning into solving how that problem gets addressed how it gets solved um and and really relying on character to do that it's like something that like a, a writer like uh, like Michael Lewis, for example, in Moneyball, mm-hmm. Blindside, um, The Big Short. I mean, the reason those books are so interesting and successful is that there, there's interest, obviously, from people who care about the minutia. They care about sabermetrics or care about, um, you know, finding efficiencies in sport or uh, in the market, for example. But what really connects is the characters and the tension and the stories that, mm-hmm. um, that the people he introduces us to um how, how they how they solve problems, how they go through conflict. And so, you know, a, a book about sabermetrics doesn't become a movie that, you know, started Brad Pitt, really, unless mm-hmm. it has conflict in character. And so I think that's underscores the point of why um, those are the stories that connect with people the most. And uh, so you mentioned just that you look for conflict in character. Is that when you when you look for or, or trying to write a feature story, is it do you follow what you're interested in and then look for that said conflict or how do you kind of find a feature story that's a great question um think about that um i i found i think i found so many different stories in different ways it's sort of hard to sort of say here's the exact route but generally it starts with a bit of a question i can think of a few where i i've seen a story Actually, this is several stories where I've seen a story come out in the news and there's questions that aren't that remain unanswered. And so that question ends up being the starting point for how I would go out and do it. So just for an example, um, my first one of the features I wrote back at Sportsnet, my first book that I wrote with Clint Larcher called The Crazy Game, started with a deadspin article about the most gruesome injuries in sport. And Clint had um, severed his uh, yeah in his neck uh, during a game in um, in the late 80s and 89 and nearly died on the ice. It was a horrible thing. 
but it had been sort of used as sort of like, look at this horrible, gruesome moment in sport and then sort of a top 10 list. And in that article, um, there's been a brief mention that also this guy somehow survived a gunshot to the head. Um, look how lucky he is. Oh my goodness. And it was just like, they just kind of skirted through it. They called it a gun accident. And I was like, well, that's weird. Like what happened there? Um, so I reached out to Clint and he had, invited me to fly to Calgary where he was a goalie coach at the time with the flames. And we sat down, I said, I down, sat down with his wife first, um, Joni, who, cause he was on the ice practicing and we just started talking and she told me the whole story of this is, you know, basically 20 years of, of demons of dealing with OCD, of depression, of alcoholism, of, of just, you know, everything that, that came from that moment. And so it was really just a central question of well, what happened next. I did another story with Donald Bashir recently, a mm -hmm. uh, former NHL enforcer who um, was quite, um, you know, it was unfortunate a couple of years ago, he went, there's a photo of him working at Tiborns went viral. I don't know if you remember that. It was sort of like he's handing out coffee and it was sort of just like, you know, in a couple of newspapers, like, look, look at the, look at this person who's made millions of dollars now working at a tomorrow's. And there was just sort of this typical social media showing and fraud and all of that. Just like, oh, look how far the the successful have fallen. All the stuff I hate about uh, yeah. social media, uh, frankly, um, this brings out the worst in people. And so mm -hmm. that right away, well, a couple of weeks, I reached out to, to uh, Donald and asked, um, you know, if he'd if he'd be interested in talking and he wasn't at the time and it took a year for me to actually get him to uh, trust me and just down and chat with me. And I wrote stories about what that journey was. And what I found was that actually in his, in his story, um, that moment of, of working at Tim Hortons and of, of having him being employed and taking care of himself, that was actually the beginning of his rise. That was the beginning wow. of something he was very proud of. It wasn't a low point for him. It was, you know, the, the reality of the addiction he'd suffered through the trauma he endured as a, as a young boy that still carried on well after achieving, you know, his quote unquote dreams, right. As trauma does, he, um, he found himself as an adult battling a ton of things. And this was actually the beginning of his, his turnaround. And so um, for me, that's where I think the best stories come from is just asking questions that haven't been answered yet and realizing that there's always more to the story, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and being curious. And, and so I think that that's where you find the tension. The tension comes when you sit down and speak to somebody and you can kind of get a sense of the story itself. Like I realized with Donald Bashir that the tension wasn't working at Tim Hortons. Right. And I think that's where most people would think the tension yeah. was. But the tension there was really uh, how the story opens, which is him um, trying to break into an apartment. He'd just been evicted from after a night of binging. And it was like sort of the, the last straw and then he gets arrested. And it's the, the last straw in a, in a long spiral, which is friends and family have been so concerned about him. Um, and then we go back and, and, and sort of figure out how we got there. But then we come out and realize this story isn't what we thought it was at all. And, and I think that that, to me, is the best kind of um, approach to, to telling a story like this. No, I, I, that's super fascinating. And and I, I wanted to a bit transition into, the I guess, the difference for you from writing a feature story to, to writing a book. And you recently wrote a book that I, I mentioned in the intro about your father and the memoir and Again, I wanted to say thank you just because like it really touched a chord with me who's lost uh, my mother and uh, I, I, it's super well written. And I found it kind of interesting that I, you mentioned that your dad's a bad sleeper. And I, I thought about <laughs> my dad being a bad sleeper. So uh, to, to kind of transition into what is the process like for you to write a book compared to to a feature article well it's interesting in that um it's not 
it's not dissimilar at all. It's just you're working with uh, a larger space, right? You're working with a, a bigger canvas, so to say. I, I now, instead of, have, uh, instead of having to contain a story to a chapter, which is about the size of a long-form story, I mean, a, a long-form story is generally, you know, I'd say 2,500 words to 5,000 words, dependent. I mean, it can be longer, it can be shorter, I guess, but a chapters are the same, right? If you really think about a chapter in a book, um, they're usually about that range. And so what you can do with a book that I, I was actually part of the reason why I really enjoy writing books is I can spend more time in sections that I would really have to truncate in a long form story. So I can, and because of that, you have more room to build in, um, I think more of the subtle nuances, the to, to have some more of this, the paint the picture and, and set up the tension in a way that, you kind of want to speed through in a long form story. Um, and that's not to say, I mean, long form story also provides a lot of room and, and there's a skill to doing things short, but there's also a skill to doing things long. And so I, I sit down and I, I sort of think, okay, here's the, here's the story. And almost in the same way, I think about a long form feature. The story is the same, right? So the story I wrote with my father, um, that book, I, there's a, there's a long form version of that possibly. I could, I just have to sort of play around with it a little bit. Um, but when I when I go okay chapter by chapter these are the building blocks that are going to get me to the point of um, of tension that's going to get some sort of resolution or not and and get to some sort of ending that's going to tie it all up and so um, I, I had I, I've had the experience of sort of practicing that by doing by ghostwriting um, and I my first book was uh, the was a co-author a ghostwriter of Larchuk's book about his life and his journey uh, then I had a chance to work with. Um, you know, Buck Martinez, the baseball yeah. broadcaster yeah. on a book that was a lot of fun, uh, much different in nature. Yeah. Um, and in the midst of that, actually, it's interesting because that's when I, around that time is when I got my, I was offered an opportunity to write a biography of, of former Leafs uh, coach and executive uh, Pat Quinn and, and Vancouver Canucks. Sorry, I should, I should clarify that because yeah. I would not be happy if I don't mention that part. Uh, it also had uh, Hockey Canada's yeah. head, head coach of uh, the gold medal team. Um but so Pat had actually Pat passed away um, in in the November of 2013, um, the 23rd, no, 2014, 2014, because um, I started working on that book. I took a leap from sports. This is my full first biography, um, which was a much different process because this is now being written in my voice. The, the writing in someone else's voice, it's freeing in a way. I mean, the, it's still stressful and it's still trying to tell the story, but it, in a way, I can kind of lean into having a character and almost like writing a fiction of, of something. Uh, but this was my own voice. And by me, fiction, sort of thinking of them as like a character with pieces yeah. of nonfiction. Um, but it's less sort of me saying, here, I'm the narrator. This is my my yeah. voice story. And I'm doing all the research in this. So this is more of a journalistic picture uh, mm -hmm. than I think... Um, I should just clarify, and this is an interesting thing I was thinking about. I think when I write with somebody else, that there's journalism in that for sure, because that's I I I work really hard to make sure that that is the truest account of that person's life possible, and mm -hmm. I we work together in that, right? So it's memoir, but it's also very much I, I interviewed tons of people, and it's very focused on um, on truth and making sure this is a, because otherwise it's you know it's bull. It's not it's not a good story if it's not true. Um, Biography. I'm I'm interviewing hundreds of people trying to pull this together and in a tight deadline. Now, what happened during that time is my father actually died in that spring or that summer. So, in the midst of writing this big um, process, this big book, I, I dealt with the biggest conflict in my own life. Hmm. Um, that became, um, you know, so just sorry, my dog's barking right now. So, in the in this process, what happened was my um, 
I was working through the hardest project I ever worked on. It came through then I dealt with the worst thing I've dealt with in my life. And then mm -hmm. that book ended up becoming a, um, a way for ended up being the story that I was then going to go and tell next. And so, but that was a story I couldn't tell in the way that I told other stories because it was a memoir. So uh, I'm, I'm going in sort of a circle here to say that there's sort of like different elements to how I tell these stories. And the hardest one in the end ended up being the memoir because it went from being sort of like now in the narrative to being like, now I'm in many ways the subject along with yeah. my family um, and telling the story. So and I look back now, I can see sort of the building blocks to getting to that point in the work I've done uh, previously. Um, and so even within the struggle of writing the the, the Paquin memoir or biography, um, the, the sort of the framework, the tension for the memoir that was coming were, was being laid. When when you read uh, when you wrote, sorry, the the book about your father, did that feel very freeing to you in terms of it was the first book that wasn't sports related at all? Did yeah, um, you know, I had I I really so it's a, it's a thing because it's sort of like a I don't know if it's an inherent insecurity or sensitivity to it but you know like I I, I like to think of myself um, as someone who's interested in stories that go way beyond sport obviously and as someone who's interested in writing stories that go way beyond sport my, my profession though is to write stories that work within the realm of sport right now and I am very happy with that profession and I'm not you know interested in leaving it but having an opportunity to write um, about the world outside of it in in a in an intimate way um, really just it, it felt freeing for me um, and it was just creatively interesting, intellectually interesting. I mean, it was also interesting because it was, this is my own story, but it also sort of opened up the door that down the road, I would love to do more nonfiction work outside yeah. of the realm of, of sports. So, um, yeah, it was, it was definitely a nice departure, uh, from mm -hmm. sort of what I do, what mm -hmm. I built my career on. Is that almost something that you feel as though you really want to do going forward, uh, in terms of working, uh, writing a nonfiction book that isn't sports related again, that isn't. Yeah. 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 I mean, so it's, I, I will write, I'll absolutely write more sports related nonfiction stories but I, and, and our books. I think that they, because I, I love that. I love doing them too. And I think they, they're important stories. So as long as they're important stories with interesting people, I'll do all sort of both versions of that biographies or working with someone telling their story. I mean, I, I really enjoy that process, but uh, in terms of stories that, for example, I might pitch as my own, you know, sort of being um, the author of, um, I think my interests uh, as I, where I sit right now and in the years to come, I think will continue to sort of drift be out of the arena, out of the court, out of the stadium um, and look more, um, sort of widely at potential topics. Now that's like a very broad idea right now because I, I, I you need a really sharp idea to be able to write a book, mm -hmm. but um, I actually don't feel, I actually don't feel sort of like stuck in the need to just write about sports. I guess to, to ask the last question about the, the books you've been writing, you've written a lot of books about, uh, I guess, Toronto athletes or, uh, kind of people in the sports world in Toronto and what are those is that something you think about actively when you write a book like that and seek out that I, I don't want to say for commercial reasons but is that somewhat of something that you think about when you write a book like that interesting um so I sort of full disclosure on those books they tend to be books that a publisher would ask me to write so I mean there is absolutely 
uh, a commercial component to it um, because the reality is you need a big market and you, you, need, you don't need a big market because like there wasn't a big market for my memoir, for example, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody cared what I, or, you know, what I, well, what I, I cared, but yeah, what I, yeah, but in general, but in terms of like, a, and I appreciate that, but in terms of like, um, you know, working with Doug Gilmore in his book or when Pat Kane passed away or, or Johnny Bauer, I mean, there's a reality of, you know, there's a wide audience for this story. And mm -hmm. I've been incredibly honored to have had the opportunity to work with publishers like HarperCollins and, and Penguin Random House um, to be asked to be the person that sort of tries to encapsulate that story and and present that story to people who desperately want to um, learn more about that person and I think of those challenges it's interesting because I because they're so well known I, I enjoy the challenge of um, going out and trying to tell something new about them so in Bauer and in Quinn the two biographies that I wrote um, you know, I worked really hard in sort of a journalistic fashion to sort of go back into their histories. And 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 I, I think I was successful from people who had thought they kind of knew everything about these people to, to have sort of present a fully formed mm -hmm. character, um, a sense of like what propelled them to be who they became. Like why mm -hmm. why was Johnny Bowers, you know, somebody who became a legend in, in, in Leaf's lore? Um, it wasn't just because he was a good goalie. There was there was a lot to him, and also how he persisted. You know, going through the Great Depression and the war, and and being 34 years old when he first made the to the NHL. I mean, there's just an incredible story there. So I I get I, I sort of get the opportunity. To, they, someone says, "Here's the topic. Now make a great story out of it." And so that's been the the joy uh, and the and the challenge for me. Um, but in terms of that, like I'm not, for example, I'm not like a Leafs fan. Like I don't. I'm not. Oh really? Sort of, okay. No, I'm not. I don't. I'm not like, oh, I care about the Toronto Maple Leafs. I actually grew up a Habs fan. I was a Patrick Waugh fan. Oh, okay. I grew, up, I grew up liking, I was a goalie growing up. So oh. I I love, I like players more than anything. I was around for the Leafs run in 93 when Doug Gilmore and, and those guys were playing. So when I worked with Doug Gilmore in his book, I, I there was a little bit of like, oh, this is pretty cool. I, I'm, you know, I was 10 years old at that time. So they're naturally built into that nostalgia that I had. Um, but I, I actually, as a, as a sports fan, I don't really have like a cheering interest. I, okay. and I think that's been to my benefit as a writer somewhat, because I've been able to sort of, um, you know, I, I, I can be somewhat dispassionate from it all, but still really enjoy and be enthralled in the story of it all. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's been the benefit to me. Um, so yeah, so not really a least fan, but yes, I have produced quite a bit of content for. I, I just, I just presume. I don't hate the Leafs. Like I like them. I, yeah. I like going to Leafs game. I live in Toronto, um, so I like enjoy, I enjoy it. But it's never been sort of. A, I didn't grow up sort of with Leafs. Well, actually, no, I did grow up with the Johnny Bauer picture on my wall because my aunt had gotten it for me. But that's part of the story um, that mm -hmm. I wrote the book. But the, um, I, I didn't grow up sort of dreaming of becoming a. Uh, you know, I, I, I did grow up dreaming of becoming an NHL goalie because like, and I had, I was like a Curtis Joseph fan or a Patrick Waugh fan and a Marty Bordeaux fan and, mm -hmm. um, you know, all Coles. I can go through all of that. I'm a huge nerd. Yeah. About so that's where my passion lies. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I guess I'm, I, sh I shouldn't ask this, but who's your favorite goalie right now in the NHL? Oh, right now, currently. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, you know what? I, I'm trying to think of who who would be my favorite because some of them just uh, like I, Lundqvist was my favorite for a while because okay. of the style and just how calm and, and he played. I mean, I know he's retired now, although, you know, it's interesting because I interviewed him in New York one time and I had like 
one of, I hate locker rooms. And I had this sort of interaction with him where I waited around and then he basically just like turned around when I went to ask him a question and was like, I'm done. I'm like, well, that it's like never meet your heroes kind of thing. Right. I was like, okay, well, I didn't get anything out of him, but I wrote a nice story about him in the end, but he, he, he was sort of the guy, I think for the last little while that always, I really enjoyed. And, you know, now, I mean, I, I'm really intrigued by Carrie Price. And again, I'm sort of drawn into stories more than in the form, you know, like I think there's some great goaltending out there, but I actually like goalies because they're, they're interesting. Like there's, yeah. there's a thing about goalies that goes beyond, like, I think it's the most stressful position in sport. And I will argue anybody about that. And I think it's one of the most athletic positions in sport and the most um, mentally like challenging, like the the focus that's required is like uh, unparalleled, I think. And then you, you, everyone's like, oh, goals are so quirky. And it's like, well, yeah, like there's a reason why they're so (laughs) quote unquote quirky and interesting. And so I, I, I'm drawn to that. And I carry price. I'm drawn to because he's so stoic, um, you know, and he doesn't, doesn't, he just seems so like so serious. And, and now with what's sort of going on in his career, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of drawn to that story too, just, just for that, the, the yeah. story the nature of it all. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I, I, I totally get it. And I wanted to talk a little bit about a couple of recent, uh, recent, uh, recent feature stories that you wrote. And, and firstly, the, the one that's really in the news a lot about the hockey Canada story. I asked your colleague Ian Mendez when he was on yeah. and, about that process. And I, I guess I just wanted to know what your side or your perspective of writing that story was and, and how it all came about. Yeah. And so, you know, I've been very lucky um, at the athletic in particular to work with some exceptional uh, colleagues, you know, and I think I, mean, I, I had exceptional colleagues in sports in it for sure. Uh, but now I just have like new, like, like across the United States and Canada, like I just have way more, um, and though we don't get to meet in person often, we talk constantly in, in um, Zoom. Like I was texting with Ian uh, just before we spoke. Um, yeah. And Ian is a just a tremendous example of like a, a, a respected, beloved beat writer in a city that also cares about like the stories beyond. And so I've had an opportunity to work with him on another story frequent, pre- previously about Eugene Melnick, which- I'm going to ask you about that after. Yeah. So, yeah. And so that that story kind of, um, our, our team, I worked with Katie Strang on that as well. And she's like, just one of the most exceptional investigative um, journalists in sport right now. And I've had a chance to work with her and learn from her and just, you know, um, I'm really blessed to have her as a colleague. And and so we've been working together on um, some difficult stories. And in this case, what I find the most interesting is the skill sets that come into play in a story like this. So I'll get to hockey Canada in a second, but in terms of that sort of triangle of reporting, you have someone like Ian, who is an exceptional, um, uh, contact maker, someone who, you know, everyone knows, everyone respects, he knows everybody, um, you know, around, you know, around the league and people know him. Um, you have someone like Katie, who just is a, a, like a relentless investigator, someone who knows how to find information that people are trying to hide and knows how to um, get on the phone and, and, and get people to tell her things because, you know, she, and, and, and from, from because she's right like from the perspective like this is important to do yeah, and so yeah. she's exceptional at um at investigating and uncovering and and i add to that i think um being a feature writer i think i add an element of being able to tell the story being able to um in some cases work with sources in a different way um and be able to bring sort of a, a broad sort of lens and also reporting and investigating as well which I, I would do but the three of us working together has become something that um, I think without us realizing it would work that way, I think worked exceptionally well just because of our different skill sets. So that's been a real luxury to have at The Athletic. I guess my question to go to the Hockey Canada and Eugene Melnick, 
were you guys working together first on Melnick and then Hockey Canada came and you continued yeah. together? Okay. So what happened there actually was um, Melnick, we worked on Melnick for a long time and we were working on that story um, together because of the sort of what I just said, set up Ian being in Ottawa, having the contest being intimately connected to that market and to the people involved. Uh, in in terms of how in, in terms of his coverage and Katie being an investigator who worked really um, closely on the Arizona um, with the Arizona Coyotes and doing like some exceptional investigative work in several areas was sort of focusing on that story and then I, I was working with them in both capacities of of really coming focusing on trying to you know and I think one of the things that I was trying to bring there was sort of an element of um, of of nuance I mean it's a very complicated story. Mm-hmm complicated man someone who clearly um was not um an effective leader when it came to the Ottawa senators and um really alienated a lot of people and hurt a lot of people but at the same time um in his life helped help people and had um insecurities and had um connections and so there's certain characters in that story and as we went along that I yeah. think worked really hard to develop relationships with that the 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 intent there was to show a, a fulsome picture of, of a life the most complete picture of this person that we could uh, and so that's sort of, i think if i look at where he came into that was sort of my my contribution to that story um, no i i i just i wanted to piggyback i thought the i forget his name but the ukrainian friend yeah. in, that, yeah. in that story was just such an interesting wrinkle where you could really again this is very inside baseball into that story but in terms of seeing the the immense generosity Melnick would show and then the complete opposite. And I, th- I think you guys really captured, I I didn't know Melnick, but it felt as though you really got the essence of him in that article. Well, that means, so the thing about that article, like we got a lot of backlash for that, obviously. And I'm, I frankly, I'm, you know, I can say to you, I was quite disappointed with um, some of the backlash we got, um, you know, just because I don't for- think people that read the story in some pace. I think they thought, okay, here's a takedown piece of a person. I, I don't think it was a takedown piece of a person. I, I think I, I, and I, I'm somewhat, frankly, I'm insulted by anyone who says it is. And I would love to sit down with them and talk to them about journalism and talk to them about storytelling and how you, um, you know, even, even though I get, I get the sensitivity when someone passes, but you don't like you don't you don't shy away from truth just because somebody has passed away. You don't you don't go here's a, here's a fake account of their life. You tell the story of their life and you tell it in a complete way. Um, and, and I don't think the story when you read it says this person wasn't someone who was loved in any capacity or wasn't capable of love in any capacity. But it 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 tries to get to the root of of motivation and tries to get to the root of of the complications in his relationships and. Um, for that reason, I'm I'm very proud of that story. I know we all are, and I think that it's something that, um, for me, I, I don't I don't care about sort of people were upset about it, but I just when I look at it um, uh, as, as a piece of journalism that we produced, I'm glad that I think it does provide um, layers to a man, and and to me that's what the best stories do. They don't, or to a person or to an issue, they don't just sort of say, we made up our mind, here's the story. We talked to, I mean, like there's no, I, I don't know the number off the top of my head right now, but it's, you know, over a hundred for sure. Like just in terms of the work that we did, uh, worked really hard to make sure that it was a true account. So I have no, and it's interesting because nobody's actually questioned any of the details in the story. Like no one's, no one's come out saying, oh, that part's not true. 
because it, it, it's all true, but there's sort of the, it's more the sensitivity and timing and how dare you. But I think in those cases too, a lot of people read headlines and that's what we seem to see a lot of right now, right? People just reading headlines and not reading um, the actual substance of a story and not just being willing to see what the story is showing you, you know, cause that's, that's also part of what we're doing here. We're not telling you what to think. I'm not saying here's this, here's that it's, here's the story. Here's Sirhe who shows up and um, loves this man. So he's a man who he like, not only gave every opportunity to, right. But then, and I know you don't want to get into the minutia of the story. Someone should go read it, but you know, then turned his back on and, and then, but then still there was a complicated um, love there. Right. So anyway, I, I find that, um, I, I love when we're writing these kinds of stories because of that element, because we can get into that complexity. Um, and the biggest frustration I have is when that is just sort of because of the, I guess, the heat of the of the article, um, you know, the heat of the topic uh, gets overlooked and, and no one actually is paying attention to what you actually did in the work. Just the fact that you published something and who published it. Uh, and the, 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 this notion that it was, you know, some, uh, some sort of attempt at a hit job, but anyway, that's, that's my rant. So I, I, no, no, I, I guess my question is, did you feel, or have you received a similar backlash to the hockey Canada story? The hockey Canada story is interesting. So I, and I'm glad you asked about that because yes, I mean, we've seen, we've received backlash to hockey Canada, but not never from again, a perspective of what we've written, right? Everything we've written has been this is what's happening. This is what happened. So Katie and I went to London together and Ian worked on the story with us as well. And it was the story about sort of what happened that night. So we were working from multiple angles to try and figure out um, information about the allegations from the 2018 um, incident with Hockey Canada's World Junior players that has led to sort of this unraveling. Um, you know, and that story, I mean, that was just, we reported that story out to try and paint the, the clearest portrait of, of what happened. And then subsequent to that, well, before that, actually written about hockey culture in general. That right. one gets a little bit of backlash because people um, don't like when you criticize something they love. But everything in that story is an example of something that's happened. And the people that we spoke to as experts are people who have been studying this and can talk about this um, culture. So while there is some backlash, I think for the most part, most people are saying like, this is important. You're exposing this. We're, we're having this conversation. We're getting this out there and it needs to be done. Every once in a while, like on Twitter, you'll sort of see like, oh, you guys hate hockey. How dare you? Um, you know, like, why don't you go look at football now? That kind of stuff. You know, like, well, like we're writing about hockey now. Like, yes, there's room to look at football. There's, there's, there's room to look at every element of society in which there's negative things and terrible things happening. But right now we're looking at hockey. And in Canada, we're looking at Hockey Canada is the, 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 the organization that sort of like holds this beloved sport, holds the responsibility of this beloved sport. And if from the top, it's not carrying that responsibility in the way that, you know, that you, anyone who loves the game would want it to, then that needs to be challenged. That needs to come out. That needs to be discussed. And so I, I find most of the backlash to be very superficial, very like, oh, this is just ridiculous. And, and I, I don't listen to that. But for the most part, I think, um, you know, just in speaking with people and in, in the, um, and getting, you know, emails and talking to, um, getting feedback. I think people are grateful that we're looking into it, that Rick Weston at TSN obviously is doing exceptional work looking into it. I mean, even know, media has done some great work recently on this story. Um, you know, it's, it was really interesting about the story, actually. The Globe and Mail, I have to say, of course, my good friend, Grant Robertson at Globe and Mail uncovered the National Equity Fund. Like he's an incredible journalist who 
I actually does write a lot about sports. He's won two sports NNAs, but like you don't, no one thinks of him as a sports writer. And he's probably one of the best journalists in Canada. But he looks at documents, he uncovers things, and he uncovered, you know, this this that's basically the story right now. Really, is sort of this equity fund. So I've really enjoyed this story because journalists from each element. I don't, I don't, we don't, I don't think we feel like we're working against each other at all. I feel like in a way, you know, we want to have the next story, we want it to be a big story, but like we're gaining almost from each other's um, expertise and how we do things well. And it's creating a really damning picture right now. Yeah. Uh, and so I think from like a, if I were to zoom out from sort of being one of the journalists involved in this, um, you know, in a, in a small way, looking at all of the colleagues from different networks and or different organizations that I have, I'm really interested in this moment in in journalism because of the the effect that it's having on an issue and in a way that doesn't feel um like I, I shouldn't say it doesn't feel competitive because we're all competitive but it, it feels like um you know there's a benefit to every new story that somebody has uncovered coming out just uh to you said that very eloquently and thank you for that I, my question kind of to that is I've thought about this a lot lately of what is the role of sports journalists in the matters of abuse? And obviously you guys and many others have started now to, for example, Rick Westhead with Kyle Beach, and you mentioned the National Equity Fund with um, Greg Robertson. I think that's the right. Uh, I wanted to know, do you feel as though there needs to be more of an onus on journalists to delve into these stories rather than just being an insider and following the scores and trades? But it's interesting because I, I think it's it's tough. Like I, I have to say too, I, I don't. Um, and I know there's some you know, there's some criticism lobbed that sports for being soft and for being inside. But I do think um, you know I'm, I'm sensitive to that too, somewhat because I, I I recognize the work that say a beat reporter does every single day, having to navigate relationships inside a locker room, having to navigate relationships with executives, um, you know, and, and having to frankly entertain and engage an audience in a real constant way. Um, and so to then go now, step out of this and write about, um, you know, abuse or, or racial inequity and these kinds of things. I mean, I, I think that it's not necessarily fair to sort of assume that they're going to catch all those stories and then all of a sudden be able to like zero in on them um, and, and like only focus on that to the extent, to the, to the, um, to the detriment of like the rest of what they do. And so I think that, it's important that it's the onus should be on the um, journalistic organizations, like on the athletic, okay. on, on sports net, on the globe, everywhere else to employ people that can tell these stories. I think that um, every journalist should be engaged in these stories. Every journalist should be aware of these stories and have their own inherent bias in these stories. So I don't think anybody should go in there. Like that's a reporter should be sort of dismissive of these things and say, Oh, this stick to sports, for example, like, don't even worry about it. And, and, not ask questions about this. I mean, I do think there's an onus on journalists to be asking those questions and to be putting some um, pressure in a daily basis on these issues and to be exposing injustices and cover-ups as they happen. But at the same time, I wouldn't, I, I'm not like, um, you know, I'm not critical of the fact that like, you know, it's not necessary, like it's, that is Rick West said that breaks that story because like he also can he 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 can exist as I can exist sort of at an arm's length um, uh, from organizations and from the league and be able to kind of ask those questions without um, you know and, and he gets the don't get me wrong like it's not easy at all but 
he then does have to go write about like, you know, leaf trades, for example, right? Which is like a different relationship. So there is complexity, I think, to the industry. And I think the one thing about sports writing that's, that I think people don't understand is that there are so many different uh, elements to it. It's not just one thing. And, mm-hmm. and there's so many different skill sets within it. And so what we're seeing now, Bucky Canada's story, I think is, um, I think there's a uh, some journalists with a unique set of skill sets and opportunity that are really focusing on on this story. And I, I do think every sports journalist, like in the hockey world right now, um, should, this should be front of mind for sure. This should be something that shows up in stories or gets discussed. There should be reaction from executives, that kind of stuff. But on a daily basis, they, there's no way they can possibly be focusing on. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally understand what you're trying to say in terms of if you're following day to day, you don't need to maybe do another feature right or or future story on the stuff you know but once it's out especially you shouldn't just say oh i'm just going to stick to sports and not talk about it yeah yeah and not but not ask tough questions i mean i think like we can also go too far and be like well i'm not going to ask this defenseman about something because like well they all they want to do is play hockey i mean there's you know i I don't think being throwing softball questions at athletes is is necessary either so it's a there's a bit of a there's just Mm -hmm. a, a reality to um the, the nature of the job that I think needs to be considered. No, no, of course. I, I guess to kind of wrap this bow up, I, I wanted to know first a bit about, you've mentioned how your process of becoming a feature writer and, and writing books. What other, what other advice would you give that you maybe haven't mentioned so far with to up and coming journalists or writers? I think the best advice I would give would be to, do what other people aren't doing and, and look where other people aren't looking for stories. So um, the one thing that I, I found the most sort of intimidating, especially when you get started is like, there's so many voices, especially now, I mean, everyone's on Twitter was talking, it's this constant conversation. And it's sort of like, you can feel left out if you're not like being retweeted and being someone that people are turning to for, you know, advice or line changes or who should be traded, this kind of stuff. And I, I think that when I look at the people who have um, really carved out uh, some success, it's if you really look at what they do, you recognize that there's a difference to it. And so I think finding what you do differently and being confident in that and leaning into that is a good thing. Obviously, be open to criticism. Don't be too sensitive, like be willing to grow. The, um, that's that's essential. You, you know, if you if you have an ego, I mean, all writers have egos, all journalists have egos to a certain extent. But if you let that get in your way, it's going to get in your way. It's going to block you from, I think, growing. So recognize that, like everybody in every position has an opportunity to get better what they do. So listen to feedback, but don't be consumed by it. Don't 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 be um, because you can go too far one way and think you're no good at this and feel like you're an imposter and all that kind of stuff. So be confident in what you do. People, if people have engaged with you and then give you a compliment, like, you know, be happy about that and lean into that, but keep going um, where you're, you provide a unique perspective. You provide a unique skill set to tell a story. I know I, I've always like, if I'm in a locker room, for example, I'm never in a scrum. I can't stand scrums. And I, some of the best advice I've gotten from journalists I really respect and follow mm-hmm. is, you know, speak to the person that no one's speaking to. That's that's how that's where the good stories are. That's where the stories that um, tell the bigger picture stories come from. It's not from the person that everybody else is looking at and asking the same question to. It's the person that no one's paying attention to. So um, just be strategic in that sense. 
and and be confident. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I, I really appreciate that. That was a great, I think, for any up and coming journalist, that's a great way to approach it. Look for the story rather than where everyone is. I, I guess just to to ask you, what stuff are you working on right now? Any pieces you want to plug or, or share with us? Well, well, that's a good question. I'm trying to think of what I've, I've got several interviews coming up. I'm in that bit of the zone right now of like, there's stories that are like exist, but I have, um, I'm reporting them out to see where they become. But I think in the next couple months, I've got some interesting ones, kind of actually uh, what I'm working on about psychology and sports actually, and, and about um, how we defeat ourselves and how we combat, com- combat our, the inner um, mm-hmm. challenge that we pose to ourselves. So that's an exciting, that's one that I'm just really interested in. A um, couple others coming up like that. So they're, they're kind of on the realm of um, sort of think, pieces like how does this work for an athlete and and stuff so that's fun and then i'm the more it's more hockey candidate to come for sure um okay you know, i think in multiple ways i mean there's a new hearing that was just announced obviously yeah. and, on the floor um, so i i don't think i would say i don't think the hockey candidate story is going away and i think that well there's going to be um from variety of outlets some really rich uh reporting important reporting um you know to come uh i i can only imagine like the, you know, the, the this anyone who looked painted to the story knows that there's a lot more story yeah. um that that needs to be told and i think that's you know i'm not i'm less excited about that because i think it's um it's a tough story i mean that's a story that like there's sort of stories i write that i'm like this is really interesting and fun and like you know people are gonna love to read this and and there's stories that are like this is this is tough like i you know i've been accused of not liking hockey like i love hockey obviously hockey's been a huge part of my my life it's been part of my career i it's heartbreaking really to see yeah. um i mean the very specific things happening like you know, the story that's come out of 2018 and, and 2003, and, and those are just um, horrific. But then also just to, to see, um, you know, like, I, I think, I think sort of the, the culture of, of the game, you know, be challenged and discussed in a way that needs to be discussed and kind of sad that, you know, it's, I, it, a lot of people have talked about how things are different and everyone's getting better and you know we're in a good place right now and like we're doing the right training but like i don't think hockey is much different than when i was in the locker room and when when 10 years before that others were in the locker room i think that hockey does a very good job of of being superficial in terms of how it's moving but being very insular and um and uh reactive in terms of anybody trying to challenge um the status quo within it so to me that's that's actually a really sad story but it's one i'm going to keep working on and hopefully, hopefully it changes. And I think with what you guys have done, I think it's definitely going on the, the right direction, but hopefully it's change happens faster than kind of, or faster than any, than slower. Sorry. Yeah. So um, anyways, thank you so much for coming on. This was great. I was great to, to talk to you and, and really get the insight into your career and your life and what makes you such a good writer. So thank you so much, Dan, for coming on. Thanks, Alex. Really appreciate it. And uh, listeners, we'll have another uh, Behind the Play coming up soon. So stay tuned and see you soon. Bye.